you would uh, turn in your Bibles, please, this evening to Luke chapter 13. We're going to be reading together Luke 13, verse 22 to 30 this evening. And just before we turn to God's word, just to mention to you um, a couple of things that I don't think we mentioned this morning. One is that uh, we're glad to say the Abbots have arrived safely in South Africa yesterday. They were spending some time with uh, family in the south of Joburg today, but Lord Willing will be with us uh, from next week, uh, and we uh, anticipate that they'll be in the country for about three months. So um, we're looking forward to a wonderful opportunity to just reconnect uh, with Andy and Debbie Abbott. Please be praying for their time here, that they would have the time of necessary rest that they need. Um, but also that they would be wonderfully encouraged and refreshed uh, as they meet with God's people, both here at Honeyridge and uh, Ferndale and Rosebank and other churches that support them as well. Uh, And then just to let you know that from next Sunday, from next Sunday morning and evening, we're starting two new series uh, in God's Word. Um, You know that for many years, or a couple years at least, we've been talking about our desire as a church to plant Uh, other churches as God may allow us and enable us around Johannesburg. Uh, And as elders, we felt that it's important that we should be thinking uh, biblically in that direction. And so we're going to be starting a series uh, next Sunday morning in the book of Acts. And we're going to be looking at many of the principles that would uh, not only encourage and strengthen us as God's people here at Honeyridge to be a healthy church, but also to have Christ's agenda, uh, which was for the gospel to go out uh, through the planting of other churches. And so that'll be in the morning. Uh, And then next Sunday evening, we're starting uh, a seven-part series on the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. And that will lead us uh, up to uh, the Sunday before the Easter weekend. And so we'll be having seven Sunday evenings preparing our hearts uh, for focusing on uh, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ over the Easter weekend. So please do be praying for those series as uh, Shane and I are preparing for that. And may God uh, be pleased to have his way in us and through us as we yeah, hear his word being preached to us each week. Well, let's turn in our Bibles then this evening to, to Luke chapter 13, and uh, we're going to read from verse 22 to 30. Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are coming from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Just so far in God's word, let's just commit our time to the Lord in prayer. 
Father, we do thank you for this opportunity again this evening of gathering to end off the Lord's Day in our worship of you. We thank you for the joy of being able to lift up our voices in praise to you with song and music. And now we thank you for this opportunity to come again around your word. We pray, Lord, for our hearts to be ready to receive your word, whether we are believers here this evening uh, or unbelievers here, perhaps hearing some of the truths for the very first time. We pray that you would be pleased to both encourage and build up and challenge and save uh, as you have purposed this evening, for we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We okay, Carl? I'm getting lots of feedback on my side. Okay. I'll just keep going and trust the team at the back to sort it out. Thank you. So I just want to ask this evening to, to, for you to think about back over your life. Have you ever gone through the anguish of a missed opportunity? Think about something that perhaps still today you regret because you had an opportunity and you missed it. Well, I have had at least one of those. Um, as a teenage boy in high school, I used to love inventing things. I used to take things apart and then see if I could build something new and useful out of all the parts. Uh, and one of my inventions was a, a little uh, pump device which replaced the, the lid of a normal two-liter fizzy cool drink bottle. And that allowed you to pump up the top of the bottle when you've drunk half of the, the Sprite or the Coke and to fill the top of the bottle with high pressure and that would keep the rest of the Coke fizzy. And my dad thought it was a great idea, told me to run with this concept and see if I couldn't get it manufactured and sold, um, but I never got around to doing anything with it. And then a couple years later when I got to university and I was studying engineering and we were being taught all kinds of things about design and, and manufacturing, I, I remembered that idea. And, and so I revived it and started to proceed to kind of commercialize the, the concept. And I met with a patent attorney to protect the intellectual capital. I met with another inventor and he helped me sort out some of the, the fine details of the concept. And we were working towards the point where we had to pay the money to secure the patent uh, before going to manufacture when my parents visited my sister in the UK on holiday. And while abroad, my dad phoned me from Harrods and he said, Clint, you won't believe it. I'm standing in Harrods and I'm looking at your invention on the shelf. Someone else had beat me to it uh, and it was all over. Now, I must admit at the time, uh, I was deeply disappointed because I had sat on that idea for seven years and I had done nothing with it. And then when I finally got around to applying myself to it, it was too late. Uh, as with any product to market, I had missed the opportunity. And I'm sure as you think back over your life in one way or another, you can think of the, the disappointment you felt at a missed opportunity. I think this is essentially what the passage before us is about this evening. It's a, it's a call to action for us to make sure that we don't miss the, the biggest opportunity that we will ever be given in our lives. 
So let's keep the passage open before us that we've read together in Luke chapter 13. We're going to work our way through verses 22 to 30. Now, some of you may have a red letter edition of the Bible. That's where the words of Jesus are printed in red. Uh, And the danger of that is that you may be tempted to sort of skip over the details of verse 22 and 23 so that you can get to the red stuff, um, the stuff that Jesus said. But... We would be amiss to do that this evening because there is nothing irrelevant in the word of God and and verse 22 tells us something very important. It says he went on his way, that's Jesus, through towns and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. So Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and as you would recall from our recent study in Mark's gospel, why that is significant, because Jerusalem is where Jesus was to be crucified. And so he was busy teaching and preaching on the way to his death. Jesus was about to endure the most significant event in all of history, and we see that his heart was focused on preaching and teaching those whom he came to save, the lost people of Israel, teaching them about the kingdom of God. Jesus had a very unique perspective into the hearts of men. Jesus was God in the flesh, and so as he looked over the crowds that he was teaching, we see a little bit later that his heart wept for those who did not know him, those who had heard him preach, those who had seen him do miracles, but they had rejected his message of salvation. Just look down at at verse 34. We see there Jesus saying, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. And so it's against this backdrop that we have someone in the crowd in verse 22 or 23 asking an irrelevant question. Lord, how many people will be saved one day? Only a few It's like someone standing on the beach, uh, looking out to the horizon and seeing a, a massive tsunami wave headed towards the coast, and then turning to the lifeguard on his little tower and saying, so how many people do you think are gonna be saved? What do you think would be the lifeguard's response? He, he would no doubt not enter into a theological debate with the person about the doctrine of election. No, he would pick up his megaphone and he would shout, run, run for your life. Well, in a sense, that's exactly the way Jesus responds to this man with the the same urgency. He says to the man, don't worry about who or how many will be saved. You make sure that you are one of them. There's an urgency to the the response of Jesus which cuts right through the, the motives of this question and it gets to the heart of the man. Jesus says to him in verse 24, you must strive to enter. You must strive to enter. Now we live today in a culture of easy believism, generally speaking. Many churches in the West are, are trying to be seeker friendly. Uh, We live in a dominating worldview of tolerance and respectability. Um, It's all about making people feel good about themselves and their choices, irrespective of what they are. 
But look at what Jesus does here. He, he does not seek to be seeker-friendly. Uh, he's not accommodating to the pressures uh, to be open and inclusivist. Uh, we see this same uh, idea coming through in John's gospel as Jesus interacts with some of the Pharisees. We see in John chapter, seven verse, uh, John chapter 10, verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think this is exactly what Jesus is saying here in Luke 13. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So I want to set before you this evening an opportunity. It's a life-changing, eternity-impacting opportunity. It's the only opportunity which offers you hope of a future. It's an opportunity which is open to every single person here tonight, freely, no strings attached, but one which has a limited time span attached to it. So let's consider uh, Jesus' response to this man who, who asked the question. And we see in the first place that Jesus says, there is a door which will soon be shut, so strive to enter it. The first thing that, that Jesus tells us in verse 24 is that we must strive to enter the narrow gate or the narrow door. This is a direct command in the Greek. The verb is an imperative. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. Uh, if, if we want access to life and blessing, we must enter by this door. And the word strive, it's a very strong word uh, in the Greek. It's the Greek word agonizomai, from which you can guess. It's the same word. We get our English word to agonize. And it means to, to grab something with both hands, with full determination, willing to fight off others, to apply strenuous zeal in order to obtain something. It's to, to agonize over getting something of value. Jesus already told us, we saw in John 10, what it means to enter this narrow gate. He said to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door, Jesus says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And so this gate or this door of salvation is the person of Jesus Christ. But why is Jesus responding so forcefully to this man about entering? Why must you strive? Why must you make every effort to enter? I think there's at least three reasons why we are called to strive. Firstly, we must strive to enter because the door is narrow. And why is the door narrow? It's narrow because of who Jesus is. Remember Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, There is salvation 
in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The, the name of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. The door is narrow, the gate is narrow because Jesus is the only way. Jesus is effectively telling us here to stop looking for other ways to find peace with God. Stop looking for other ways to be made right with God. He is the only way, and so we must strive to enter through him. But we must also strive or agonize to enter because the door will soon be shut. Jesus goes on in verse 25 and he tells us that the master of the house will one day arise and he will shut the door and those on the outside will be locked out forever. And so the obvious next question I'm sure you asking, I was asking, well, when will this be? If the door's gonna be shut, when will it be shut? And the answer to that is, we don't know. Jesus never told us, but what he did tell us is to make every effort to enter now before it's shut. Look at Acts chapter one, verse seven. Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. His disciples were trying to draw him in to give them a clue as to when the kingdom of God would, would be fulfilled. And Jesus says, that's not the point. The point is only God knows. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning the times and the Caesars brothers, seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, peace and security, suddenly their destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. In other words, the, the when question is really to miss the point. For some of you, this door that Jesus is speaking of may be shut within the next week or the next month or the next year. God might call you to stand before him before we gather next week. For every single one of us, this door will be shut when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to judge the world. So it really doesn't matter whether you die first or Jesus comes again, either way this door will be shut. And so you must make every effort, you must strive to enter now. So not only must we strive because the door is narrow and because it will soon be shut, but most importantly we must strive to enter this door because it leads to life. This door and this door alone leads to eternal life. If there's any reason that should make us strive, it should be this. Unless you enter through this narrow gate, which is about to be shut, you'll perish. You will die in your sin. You'll spend eternity separated from God under his wrath and punishment. But for those who enter it, they will enjoy eternal life. Look at verse 29. And people will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south, and they will recline at the, kingdom, in the, kingdom, at the table in the kingdom of God. You see, your, your physical birth, 
your physical birth is the broad gate. All of us entered this world through the broad gate. We didn't need to make any choices there. We were born in sin and we live our lives in sin and we will die in sin. Nothing else is required to enter through the broad gate. So when the Bible speaks then about being born again, it's, it's speaking about entering through this narrow gate. This door, this door alone leads to eternal life, abundant life, and the blessings that go with that in the presence of God for all eternity as we live in the, the presence and the care and the worship of the only true living God. So this is the first thing uh, that we see Jesus teaching, that there is a door which will soon be shut, and therefore we must make every effort to enter through the narrow gate. That's not all Jesus says. His second point is this, that on that day when the door is shut, many will try to enter, but will fail. Now, maybe you're gonna push back a little bit here and say, hang on, Clinton, didn't you just a few minutes ago say that you are presenting an opportunity to us tonight that is open to all, it is free. Now, how can you say that some will try to take hold of this opportunity but will fail? Some will try to enter but will be locked outside. Well, let's see what Jesus says in verse 25 to 27. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we, we ate and we drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Now let's consider very carefully what Jesus is saying here. There will be those outside of the kingdom of God on that day who say, Lord, Lord, we were members of the Honey Ridge Baptist Church. We endured their five weeks of membership orientation and the subsequent interviews and presenting names to the church. We made it in. We were baptized in this church on such and such a date. We listened to your word being preached on Sundays. We even took communion. As we did this morning, we, we sat around your table and we participated in the bread and the cup. Lord, we did so much stuff for ministry and charity and for the kingdom. Surely these things must let us in. And notice Jesus' response. I do not know you. Depart from me, you workers of evil. Jesus is making a very clear statement here. No one will get in without a true knowledge of him who is the narrow gate. It's not about your efforts. It's not about your good works. It's all about Jesus and knowing him and being known by him. Anything which, which relies on our human efforts to, to get us into the presence of God is like filthy rags in his sight. 
Listen to how J.C. Ryle uh, explains the narrowness of the gate like this. He says, it is narrow to all who love sin and are determined not to part with it. It is narrow to all who set their affections on this world and seek first its pleasures and rewards. It's narrow to all who dislike trouble and are unwilling to take pains and make sacrifices for their souls. It's narrow to all who like company and, and want to keep in with the crowd. It's narrow to all who are self-righteous and think that they are good people and deserve to be saved. He goes on to say, to all the great door which Christ made is narrow and constricted. In vain they seek to pass through. The door will not admit them. God is not unwilling to receive them, says Ryle. Their sins are not too many to be forgiven, but they are not willing to be saved God's way. Thousands in the last 19 centuries have tried to make the doorway wider. Thousands have worked to, to, and toiled to, to get to heaven on their terms, but the door never alters. It's not elastic. It will not stretch to accommodate one man more than another. It remains the narrow door, end quote. And Jesus helped his disciples to understand the, the narrowness of, of coming to God through him when we try to enter on our terms, when we try to bring all the baggage of the world with us. Jesus said it's like trying to get a camel through the eye of a needle. Please don't forget here, we are considering this once in a lifetime opportunity. We've seen that this door will soon be shut. We've seen that there'll be many left outside that have tried to, to enter in on their own merits, on their own terms. But I think the text hints at the main reason why there will be many outside, why they fail to enter. And it's because they thought that they would do so later. Please look at verse 25, that these people, these people only knock at the door, when? After it's been shut. This is clear from the context that when the master of the house has risen at the end of history to call all men and women to stand before him, the, the door is shut and then they knock. In other words, these people that Jesus is describing here are not those who've openly hated and rejected God their whole lives. They don't knock on that day. These are, are not people who pretend that God doesn't exist by calling themselves atheists. These are people who have lived fairly good moral lives. These are people who've called themselves Christians. They've hung around the church, but they've never entered through the narrow door. Why? Because they thought that they would do it later. Look at how Jesus re-emphasizes the same truth in the very next chapter. It's a slightly longer passage, so maybe just turn over in your Bibles to, to Luke chapter 14, verse 16 to 24. Uh, a very similar point is being made. Luke 14, verse 16. Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. 
And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, "I've, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I must go and examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've just married a wife. I'm going on honeymoon, so I can't come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. The servant came back and said, sir, what you commanded has been done. There's still room. The master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Before we come to consider the fate of those who will be left outside, I want you to see the heart of God in both of these parables is one of great love for all people. Not just inviting them in, but compelling them to come in. God's desire is for his kingdom house to be filled with people from from every walk of life, every background, nation, tribe, and tongue. But for those who find the things of this world more enticing, more important than the things of the world to come, Maybe it's houses, maybe it's your business, success, maybe it's marriage or family. These are all good things. These are gifts that God has given to us. But if they have become more important than entering through the narrow gate, we will hear those awful words of Jesus, that none of those who reject my invitation will taste of my banquet. And so we see next that Jesus has more to say regarding this opportunity and this is the consequence for those who are left outside. It will be dreadful. It will be dreadful. Look at how graphically Jesus describes the consequence of missing this opportunity. Look at verse 28. In that place, out there, when the door is shut, There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. Now for those of us who've been Christians for a long time, maybe we miss the significance of of these names, or maybe you're a a very new Christian, uh, or you're maybe not even a Christian, you don't even know who Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are. We, We miss the significance of what Jesus is saying. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were the patriarchs of the the people of Israel. They were the forefathers. They were the heroes of the faith. These three men represent God's entire dealings with his people Israel. They represent the most valued family bond for any Israelite. And Jesus says, you will weep in bitter agony when you see them on the inside and you are locked out. So let's, let's just bring this a little bit closer to home this evening. Jesus says you will weep. You will weep when you see your godly wife 
on the inside and you are locked out. You will weep and there will be gnashing of teeth when children you see perhaps your godly parents inside, the ones who taught you the way of salvation and you are locked out. Perhaps you will see your very best friend on the inside, the one who you enjoyed spending so much time with, the one who shared God's word with you so often, but whose faith in God you ultimately rejected. Perhaps as you look through the door, you will see parents, your son or your daughter, inside, rejoicing in the presence of Jesus you despised their childlike faith and you kept yourself busy chasing after the things of this world. Jesus says it will be dreadful to be left outside because you will have missed out on the greatest opportunity ever presented to you and there is no second chance. What will make it worse is your knowledge of all the times when you heard this very message of tonight being preached. You heard it on your mother's knee as she read you Bible stories as a child. You heard it around the supper table as your father shared family devotions. You heard it in Sunday school. You heard it at youth group on a Friday night. You heard it in your weekly Bible study group and you put it off for another day. All the times you participated outwardly in in religious things and yet you never looked to the Savior for his grace and mercy. All the times you you worked so hard to to do enough good to outweigh all the, the sinful and selfish things that you've done when all you needed to do was repent and believe. All the times you heard the free offer of salvation in Christ being presented but you rejected the simplicity of having someone else die in your place so that you could be saved. Jesus says being left outside will be dreadful. Thankfully this is not where the the parable ends for Jesus still has one more thing to say to us this evening which is this, that for those who enter, the future is glorious. The parable ends on a positive note for some. Although we started off with this irrelevant question as to how many will be saved, will it only be a few? Jesus first addresses the real issue of that man. You must now respond today. But now after getting that message across so clearly, Jesus does come back and he still gives the man an answer to his question. Look at verse 29. And people will come from east and west and north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. Jesus here points to a glorious picture of the magnitude of this opportunity. People are gonna come from the the four corners of the globe. They will stream in both this parable and the one a bit later from every social class, from every nation, from every race and color, this opportunity is for everyone. There is no restriction applied as to who may enter. The invitation into the kingdom of God is wide. And not only is this opportunity glorious in terms of its magnitude, but look at how glorious it is in terms of its intimacy. We will recline 
at the table in the presence of God himself. Don't miss this. Having a meal together, particularly in scripture times, was one of the most intimate things that you could ever do with someone else. It was to to gather them around your table, to recline at your table and share a meal. And Jesus says, that is what you have in store for you. The most intimate relationship with God himself for all of eternity. So please don't miss this. For those who enter through the narrow gate, we get God. For all eternity, we get God. We will be satisfied. So let me ask you plainly this evening, have you entered through the narrow gate? Did you make every effort? Have you agonized to make sure that you have found Jesus? Have you strived to enter through him. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm, I'm not speaking of any kind of salvation by works. This passage makes it clear that no amount of good works will ever merit a right relationship with God. But I think the devil has so distorted our understanding of the gospel and so often distorted the way that it's preached that many people think that they've entered through the narrow gate when in reality they are still outside. Many think that they have been saved through the misconception of various strands of easy believism today. What do I mean by that? Well, maybe you responded to an altar call. Maybe you sat in a service one day and an appeal was made and you got goosebumps. Maybe you even came to the front and you prayed a prayer and you signed a card. Maybe your Understanding of salvation goes right back to the fact that you were born into the church and you were baptized as a baby. And so you're in. Or maybe you went on a youth camp and, and later got baptized in an, as an adult and, and you even became a member of the local church. None of those things make you a Christian. Jesus says, have you made every effort to find him? Did you wrestle with Jesus as Jacob wrestled with the angel and would not let him go until he blessed him? Have you had that experience? Have you repented of your sins at the cross of Christ? Not only that, particularly for us who've grown up in the church, have you repented of your good deeds at the cross of Christ? You see, we must repent of everything which has kept us away from trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone. That certainly includes our sins, but often it includes our good works, which we think we can bring to him in order to merit his love. Have you left behind all the baggage of the world which you so once loved, your pride, your your possessions, your career, your power, your influence, your status, your background, your friends, your your self-righteous deeds, have you left those things outside the narrow door? You see, true repentance, entering through the narrow gate requires this. I remember once when I had to go to Arms Corps in Pretoria, that big military building there off the highway, uh, and you have to go through 
the narrowest door I've ever gone through. It's a security gate. It's like a little, those things in the bank, but just much worse. And basically they make it so small that you can't carry anything with you. Um, I think they're hoping that, or hoping that it will prevent any kind of bomb threat or something, but you kind of go into this thing, the glass closes in front, the glass closes behind. I think they scan you, make sure you've got nothing hidden, and then you can walk out on the other side. Nothing is allowed inside from the outside. Faith in Jesus Christ requires that you walk through the narrow gate naked, spiritually naked. We're gonna sing about this in a few minutes. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. This is as much an application for Christians here this evening as it is for those of you who do not yet believe. How often do we as Christians acknowledge that we were saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, but then we spend the, the rest of our lives trying to get into heaven by our good works? We need to be reminded every day that our good works are, are nothing but the delightful response and appreciation to a God who has perfectly accomplished our salvation on his behalf, uh, on our behalf. So we need to be reminded every day to repent not only of our sins, but also of our good works. If by any means we've sought to add any of those good works to our salvation. Jesus and the gospel is not just what starts us off on the right path, it's what keeps us going daily. It's what will present us faultless before the throne of his glory one day. It's all about the finished work of Jesus. That's what it means to enter through the narrow door. Let's just close by looking again at verse 22. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Jesus Christ has invited you, he's invited me, to accept a unique opportunity. It's the only opportunity for salvation that we will ever receive. There is no other. You search in vain to find another way to God. And Jesus has made this opportunity available to you. When? When did he, when did he offer this? On his way to Jerusalem on his way to die on a cross instead of you, to face the wrath and the judgment of God instead of you, to take upon himself the, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth of being put out instead of you. He has done it all. And then he rose again on the third day, victorious over death, so that you and I, who enter through the narrow gate, can live in his presence forever. That we can recline at his table forever. That we can taste of his banquet forever. This is the opportunity of the gospel. There is a door which will soon be shut. So strive to enter through the narrow gate. Just as I close, this opportunity may be old news to many of you tonight. 
but I trust that in reflecting on it again, it remains good news. It remains the very best news. Now, if that is true of you tonight, when last have you shared this opportunity with others who are on the outside? Those in your family or your work or your friendship circle who you know if the door was shut tonight would be left outside for all eternity? What kind of a friend, what kind of a father, what kind of a a, a parent or child would you be to not share this opportunity with others? Let's pray and ask God to help us do that. Our Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you this evening for your grace again to us revealed in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for your heart, for sinners, that we would be reconciled to you, that our sins would be forgiven and that we would fill the hallways and the And the new heavens and the new earth, the hallways of of your kingdom, of the the house that you've gone to prepare for us, and that we would fill the, the hills and the valleys and the streets and the byways of the new heavens and the new earth for all eternity, because you desire us to always recline at your table and to taste of your banquet. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive us for making so little of him and his great salvation. Lord, forgive those tonight, we pray, who have put off for another day entering through the narrow gate. Won't you be gracious to them this evening? Won't you cause this invitation tonight to ring true in their hearts that they would not leave here until they have taken hold of Jesus and entered through him? Lord, for those of us who are the recipients of your grace, some here who have relished this grace for 30 or 40 or 50 years, won't you convict us to continue to glory in the cross, to glory in the gospel, and to make this opportunity above all others known to those that you have brought into our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name.